opening preamble. We have a bit of scripture to read today. We're smack in the middle of our sermon series that we have titled, Wanted, Dead or Alive. And our objective in analyzing this story of David while he was in his outlaw years as he lived on the run from King Saul in the wilderness. Uh, Much of that time in his life, he was surrounded by enemies on all sides. And so for a man to not just survive that physically speaking, but for him to retain his character and for him to steward his soul and then for him to rise to power with no bloodshed, is astounding. It's a, it should be studied on a historical level and it should be meditated on, analyzed and adopted on a spiritual level that if God can use this man who was quite broken, if God can walk with this man and he can walk with God, if God can do what he did in David's life, guess what? He can do it in mine and your life. And so as we come to the scripture today, I've never been able to preach on this particular passage of scripture, so I'm very, very excited to be able to share it with you. But now it is required for us to do just a little bit of reading together. I hope that you can take it. I know Pentecostal folk give me a verse and just, you know, pull back the slingshot and let it rip, tater chip. But we're going to read, if you can take it, my Lord, may he give us grace. We're going to read 19 verses of scripture. Imagine that, reading the Bible at church. So if you have your Bibles today, 1 Samuel chapter 25. So if you've got your Bibles, that's great. I like mine in leather. If you like yours on your phone, that's okay too. We won't judge you. We'll just wait on you to have revelation that a real book is better. (laughs) 1 Samuel 25, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read from the New King James. I trust that. Uh, You won't be too far lost if you have some other translation. So 1 Samuel 25, starting in verse 1, says this. Then Samuel died. That's speaking of the prophet Samuel. And Israel gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. I just want to make this quick little redemptive rabbit trail point right here. Isn't it amazing that this mighty man of God named Samuel, who was a prophet, that when he dies, and it's proper, it's fitting for us to mourn and to recognize that this great man has now crossed over to the other side. He's not with us here anymore. But isn't it amazing that when one prophet dies, God immediately raises up someone else's. So Samuel dies, but then David stands up and arises and starts to carry on with his calling and his purpose. So somebody in here needs to know today that even when it looks like death, God is still moving. We'll save that one for another day. Now there was a man in, I'm going to pronounce this the best way I can. I'm not educated and I did grow up a redneck, so you have to just bear with me. We have to just improvise on these words. But there was a man in Mahon whose business was in Carmel and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal. Elbow your neighbor gently and say, Nabal. Anybody in here named Nabal? I hope nobody watching his name, Nabal. What an awkward name, Nabal. I hope he wasn't Nabal-headed. 
and the name of his wife was Abigail. Everybody nudge your neighbor and say, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Did you know that the scripture, there's only one other recorded instance where the scripture calls a woman beautiful. And that other woman was Rachel in the Old Testament. So we have Rachel who is beautiful and we have Abigail who was beautiful and of good understanding. But the man Nabal was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. David needs food for his men. Remember, they've been living as outlaws. We're going to dive in just a bit deeper here as we proceed, but he's asking for food. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David, and they waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? Well, clearly Nabal knows who David is. So what is Nabal doing? He's being facetious. He's being snarky. He's being a jerk. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? That's a, that's a real fancy way of saying, who do you think you are coming in here wanting my food? So David's young men turned on their heels and they went back. And they came and told David all these words. (laughs) Oh boy. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. Time for talking is done. Now only my OGs are going to know what I'm talking about in here. If you don't know, you're you're either like way boomer and that's cool. You're my favorite tribe. You're either way boomer or you're just young blood and you don't know. But there's this song that comes to mind when I read every man gird on his sword and the opening of the song says something like regulators, time to mount up. Okay, Warren G got 16 in the clip and one in the hole. King David about to make some bodies turn cold. You done messed with me? We got some real OGs in here. Is that all right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. All right. And David girded on his sword too. Listen, when the boss man arms up, it's about to get bloody. 
And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Oh boy, bloodbath. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and our master reviled them. But David's men were very good to us, and we were not hurt nor did we miss anything or we weren't missing our possessions as long as we were accompanied by them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both day and night. All the time we were with them keeping Nabal's sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, Abigail, for harm is determined against our master and against all of his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot even speak to him. Thank God for this man right here. He's kind of like the Paul Revere saying, Abigail, the British are coming. We better get our act together quick because Nabal has messed up. And Abigail made haste, and she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. Go ahead, I'm right behind you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. You made it, all 19 verses. And one joke about old school hip-hop. Now, I want to stop the story right here. Because we're going to finish the other half of the story next week. And so this first half of this interaction between David, Nabal, and Abigail, I want to focus on David. And next week we want to pick up the story from Abigail's perspective. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to pray just briefly. Lord, I ask that you help me to teach and to preach today. I call it an honor to share your word with your people. Holy Spirit, I ask that you help me to speak clearly and accurately. And Lord, I put my trust in your word, that it will do what it has always done, that it will change our lives for the better. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. So, thank you, Sarah. We're going to be focusing on some of the principles here that David exercises. And I know for many of us, we're thinking, he hasn't really done anything except ask for food and then threaten to strap on his sword and to shed some blood. But I want to, to remind us that as we've been focusing on David's life, we have focused on the principle of pain or the the principle of stripping. And so David had to say yes to being an outlaw and walking away from all the prestige and honor that he enjoyed serving in Saul's household. We've also had to look at promotion in degrees and that you can't cut corners. Promotion comes one step at a time. Because how you know that if God doesn't process you, then when you get the thing that God wants you to have, if you're not ready for it, it'll kill you or it'll crush you. And God will never create a life for you where he is not necessary. Now, you may make a life for you where he is not necessary, but God never will. And so today, I want to focus on the principle of patience. The principle of patience. So we've talked about the principle of pain, 
the principle of promotion and degrees and that David didn't kill Saul to exalt himself or accelerate his process. And today we want to focus on the principle of patience. And I could see whereas if you're just now picking up the story with us, you may say it seems that promotion and degrees and patience are the same thing. I trust as we go on, you'll be able to detect the differences quite clearly. And so we want to set the scene just a little bit. And so we, he- we hear this story from two perspectives. We hear this opening dialogue from David's perspective, and we hear it from the perspective of one of Nabal and Abigail's servants, who is clear to us, it, we would assume that he is a shepherd of some sort, because he claims that he was there in person during this same time that David is describing. This simply says this. We know that in these days, they didn't have barbed wire fences. And so they're living in a rather arid, dry, desert climate. And so as they're raising sheep and goats, shepherds would allow the sheep more or less to find their own way, steering them to green pastures and to clean, still drinking water allowing the sheep to rest along the way. And so it's quite much like living the life of a cowboy where we have to go with the animals as we go. Well, so here's the thing. There is no national police force. Uh, We don't actually know where the army of Israel is or what they're doing. It's quite clear from the rest of the story that they're following Saul wherever he is. And so if you were a businessman, if you were a rancher in David's day and you had all of this livestock out in the fields, here is the problem that you would almost certainly encounter. The same one that we're quite familiar with here in our old western days of the high plains. And that is that if you got a bunch of cows, it's easy to steal them. And so there's bandits, there's outlaws, there's just nasty people who are always looking to steal something. And so they would try to steal your sheep. And then there's enemy raiding parties from um, national enemies like the Philistines that they get a bunch of men together and they get, we'll say, 50 or 100 guys and they say, we're going to go steal a whole bunch of sheep. And so when it comes to stealing sheep, here's what happens if you're a shepherd. You're almost certainly outnumbered and outgunned and outmaneuvered because why? I have to stay with the sheep. Sheep are not known for making fast getaways like a horse. Let me try that over here. Sheep are not going to be able to make a fast run for it. And so you, as a shepherd, you have two options. I can either fight to the death over a sheep. I can either fight to death over a sheep. That's not the thing I want to die for. I don't know about you. You can fight to the death over the sheep, or you can let the enemies have the boss's sheep, and then you're going to have to go back to Nabal, who we see such a loving, forgiving guy. You're going to have to go back to him and go, boss, uh, some of the sheep are gone. Now, how do you think Mr. Nabal is going to react to that? Not well. And so David, isn't it amazing that he has the heart of a king, and that even when he's an outlaw, he's still doing the king's job, and that is what? Protecting the people. So that what? They can be safe and prosperous and well-provisioned. And so I need to say something to somebody just right out of the gate. Your actions when you are in the outlaw processing seasons of your life will always tell us who you really are. It doesn't matter what the prophet said. It doesn't matter what your friends say. It doesn't matter what your enemies say. What really says the most is what your actions say. And so David is out in the wilderness, and what does he see? This man, Nabal, has all this livestock out in the grazing lands, and so my men, we're warriors. We're going to go, and we will protect them. We will protect the people, and we will protect 
the sheep. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Isn't it so interesting that when David was by himself, he was willing to fight lions and bears for Jesse's sheep. And then you move, the, you move the story forward, and what is David doing? He's living in the wilderness again, and what is he back to doing? I'm protecting sheep. I'm protecting people. Before, he was alone, and now he's got men helping him to do it. And what is he doing? He's doing the same thing that he's been doing all along. Why am I saying that? Don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings because they may be mocking you over here for your few sheep, but there will come a day where you will start to garner reward and honor because you were willing to say yes over here. Now you're willing to say yes to helping some guy that I don't even know. And guess what? There is a better day coming. Don't despise those small beginnings. And so we hear from Nabal and Abigail Shepherd, he says, David and his men were like a wall around us day and night. And I find it so beautiful. The man who was the wall wrote the words that, Lord, your name is like a strong tower. And when we call on it or the righteous call on it, we run into that and we are saved. See, he knew what he was talking about because he knows I was that wall. For people, I know what it feels like to be a shepherd and to know that strong and mighty warriors are out there. While I'm sleeping in the dark, they're out there standing guard and standing post. I want to say this right here that I know there's some mamas who are listening to me right now that you have been the one that while baby was sleeping and while daddy was asleep in the recliner, you were in your prayer closet or you're in the kitchen doing the things or going through the house with the vacuuming machine and you're folding the laundry and what are you doing? You're praying. Standing in your place. I need to know this. That there's a lot of men who you're built and born to be a warrior. But I know that there's many women that they got the warrior spirit in here as strong as any man. And whether it was early in the morning or late at night, there was some mama standing their post saying, I'm going to be a wall around my family so that they can be safe and secure. I honor you today, mama, for standing your post and not giving up. And so I find it so interesting that David was willing to risk his life for sheep. And you have to say this for David's followers, he's trained them well in what we understand to be a fairly short amount of time. And so these guys were ragged, rowdy rebels, and now they've taken on the character of their leader and they said, if David's willing to risk his life for sheep, I'm willing to risk my life. For sheep. We'll save that one for a on there. Let me try over here. There ain't much going on there, especially in the way of food. You get up in the northern part of the country, that's where a lot of the farms are. It's a little different climate. You get down there in the southern part, and it turns into a no man's land. And this wilderness area is where these people are. So there's not a grocery store for them to go to. And so here's some things you need to know about what David was asking. David was not threatening Nabal. We see that David has hundreds of men at his disposal, and yet he only sends 10. Just enough for them to watch each other's back, but not enough for Nabal to be intimidated or to feel like he's being muscled by the warriors. So this wasn't a shakedown. This was a very polite request. Nabal, we're hungry, and we were watching your back 
so that you could have this big harvest that you're about to have, we would appreciate it if you shared some of it with us. And so here is Nabal's response. We're going to look at Nabal's response in three parts because there's three specific things that Nabal says that he withholds from David. And I want to be able to teach you about how you can respond when people do that same thing to you, that what looks like rejection turns into promotion. So the first thing that Nabal says is, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? So when he says, who is the son of Jesse, Nabal is letting slip that he knows who David is that it's David, son of Jesse. He's a national celebrity. He killed a giant who's four times his size with a rock, and he runs around with Goliath's sword on his back. Big old giant sword, little short David. If you just want to imagine David, I imagine he looked about like me. (laughs) And so he's got a sword that when he holds it, it's about as big as he is. He's a bad dude, right? Ain't that right, Holly? Yeah, it is. Who do you think you are? What's he attacking? Nabal is attacking David's identity. Who do you think that you are? Let me say this to you. There will always be people who do not appreciate what you have done. Because if I'm David, I'm like, you need to know Nabal. Number one, I killed the Philistine army that almost certainly would have wiped you out. I took charge over King Saul's army and turned that thing into a lean, mean fighting machine who was protecting you. Saul made me an outlaw, and I still came to protect you. So, Nabal, that's three times I can think of off the top of my head that I've risked my life so that you can be rich. Y'all tracking with me? Appreciation is given... For past acts. Ten years ago, ten weeks ago, whatever. I need to say this to the people at the Gate Church today that appreciation is a verbal and demonstrative response of gratitude that says, I'm thankful for what you have done for me. And that I am enjoying things that I could not have had if I was all alone by myself and doing it. That's why we take time today to do something like honor our founding pastor, Pastor Kathy. Because we wouldn't be here today had her and her husband not stood the course and stood their ground and was a wall around us when we were all 25 and didn't know nothing about nothing. Right? Because that gratitude says what? It's appreciation for what they have done. There's some papa bears in the room that we need to go home and show real appreciation to mama bear. Because I don't know about you, I can't live the life that I live by myself. I can only be the man that I am. I can only enjoy the things that I do with my wife by my side. There's some folk we need to go home and show appreciation to our, not just our wives, but our mamas. I'm going to try over here. Some of us, most of y'all over here are the mamas. Most of us, I'm going to expect a big amen from y'all. We need to go home and show appreciation to our mamas. Because mama was putting food in your belly when you didn't know how to make the Kraft mac and cheese. She was putting food in your belly. 
My daddy always said that if you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you can know one thing, that he didn't get there by himself. If I were David that day, I would want some appreciation and some credit for what I'd already accomplished in the past. But here is something that I've learned. Other people will almost never appreciate the success of your past. They will almost never appreciate the struggles that you have endured. You might be a giant killer, but people will never appreciate your successes the same way they appreciate their successes. So you need to take some pressure off of yourself and off of people around you that I don't know all the details of Pastor Joey's life. So he's been through things and he's had to trust God in ways that I wasn't there for. He's had to pray and cry out in his prayer closet in ways I wasn't there. And so he can tell me about it. I'm like, man, that is so good, Pastor Joey. I tell you what, that blessed my soul. And two days later, I can't even tell him what he told me. And he's going, man, I was bleeding out. That was the worst part of my life. Holly and I love to be transparent and tell our story. And I'll never forget some of the first time we talked about some of the real difficulties that we had been through as a couple. Man, I was expecting people to be crying. I'm like, oh my God, God is so good. He touched your life. He's going to touch my life too. The first time we told that story, people looked at me about like you are right now. They're just like, where's the fried chicken? And I'm like, do you don't know? We were bleeding out. We just, we'd hold hands and cry like, God, only you can do this. And, but you weren't there. So here, do yourself a favor. Hear what I'm about to say. Quit putting hope into a vessel that doesn't have anything for you anyway. Quit putting the demand on everybody around you to walk in a constant state of awe in the great things that you've done. You are, you're great, you're awesome. You have survived and endured things that are so difficult. You have killed giants. I've learned this uh, walking with people is that everybody's had their own giants. And you've killed your giant. Job well done. We are, we're proud of you, but get quit expecting other people to appreciate you in ways that they probably are not even capable of appreciating. So who should we go to? What do I do? Appreciation is a legitimate need. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be appreciated. What should we do? <clears throat> Watch something. People who struggle the most to appreciate the past things you've done, when they struggle, it's an indicator of where they are in their process. Because here's something that I have learned. When Holly and I would be transparent and tell parts of our story, some people was cold as ice. I'm talking full-on Stonewall Jackson. <laughs> but it was the older saints. They didn't always show emotion, but they would call us on the phone and go, thank you so much for saying that. That ministered to my heart. And here's things that they'll say. They didn't want to buy my book because I ain't got one. They didn't want to send me a check because I wasn't asking. But here's what they said. It, oh, man, it moved me. They said, that makes me want to go pray. It makes me want to be closer to God. 
that's restored and rejuvenated my faith for the miraculous that God can do anything. You know what I heard talking in my ear? People that they've been through their struggles. And so when they hear about my pain and our bleeding out and how difficult it was, something in their heart moves them because they know they've been in their own process. So what I'm asking you all as people who are in processing, listen and pay attention to others. Give other people the appreciation that you yourself sow that seed into others and watch yourself reap a harvest. Because people who they have been processed, they understand this. You can't go into the job wanting everybody to appreciate you and everything you've done. You've got to stay with your tribe, those that you're most intimate with, those that God has connected your heart to them. Those are the people that will show and demonstrate appreciation in the way that you need it. The close circle. You know, Jesus had 12, but he also had Peter, James, and John. If Jesus had layers of relationship, guess what? We would do well to imitate the master's way and quit expecting everybody to just be all about you all the time. Figure out who was them two or three that they're going to go to the garden with me. And when I'm up there sweating blood, they may be over there sleeping, but at least they're there with me. Because people who they themselves have been processed... They understand that the praise and adoration of people is not the source of your life. And they also understand that appreciation for accomplishment is short-lived and it doesn't last very long. And so there are some people who will never give you an I'm proud of you. And so so many times those people are not to blame because they themselves have never had that. Don't set yourself up for continual disappointment waiting for appreciation from sources that it will never come. I heard some lovely ladies sing this old song one time that went something like, don't go chasing. (laughs) See, I just tricked all of you heathens right there. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Well, where do I go? Don't make me laugh, Eva. (laughs) I'm trying to be serious up here. Eva's making me laugh, y'all. Where do we go? Go to God. What a novel idea. Let me tell you something. When you feel rejected from people, what you do next determines the course of your promotion. It determines the arc of your story. When you are rejected by people, when the ball looks at you and says, who do you think you are? You say, I'm going to strap on my sword and I'll be back for you in just a minute, but I'm going to run to God and go, God, you see, and God, you know, God, it was you who was with me when I killed the lion and when I killed the bear. God, it was you who gave me strength and accuracy that day I hit that giant with the rock. God, it was you that kept me when Saul was throwing spears at me. It was you, God, who's been with me every step of the way. Because don't you know that God's appreciation and love for us, it is like a river and it flows continually and it never runs dry. 
Another thing that Nabal said was there are many servants nowadays who break away from their master. I'm telling you, Nabal needs a kick. So Nabal doubles down on his insult to David. And he misjudges David. Nabal withholds affirmation from David. He's withheld appreciation. Now he's withholding affirmation. Affirmation is the right here, right now. You are doing a good job. Don't quit. Stick with it. Keep going. And so we know this, that this insult has a particular sting to it because we know that David was never unfaithful to any of his masters. When it was his father Jesse, he was faithful. When he was brought over into the house of Saul to serve the king, he was faithful. As a matter of fact, he stayed faithful even when Saul was trying to murder him. David had a harp in his hand and Saul had a spear. And David stayed faithful. When they were in the cave, he had Saul's life in his hand. And see, by this point in David's life, he's a hardened commando. Sneaking in there and taking Saul's life was like eating breakfast. But he stayed faithful and he said, I will not touch God's anointed. And so then this guy, Nabal says, oh, it just seems like everybody's running off and leaving their master nowadays. And I'd be like, son, let me tell you something about who has run off and left their master. Give him a noogie. Let me tell you something, Nabal. Or take your scalp. I don't know, just whichever. Isn't it so frustrating when people mislabel and misidentify who you really are? judging your actions when they don't know diddly squat about what's really going on behind the scenes listen it chaps my hide when you come into work and you're like i just i've been getting my teeth kicked in at home it's a miracle that i even showed up for work today and then susan by the water cooler what's wrong with you today you're always so moody we don't ever know what to do with you just because you come in one minute you're up here and the next day you're down here you're like susan meet me in the parking lot and i'll show you (laughs) up and down You know what I'm talking about. There's some religious folk in here just lied, acting like they never wanted to give Susan an attitude adjustment. You say, you're calling me unfaithful? You ain't got no idea what I've been dealing with. That I even showed up here today is a miracle. And then you're going to insult my character and tell me I'm abandoning my master? It was just a few weeks ago I could have killed the man and I didn't do it. Boy, I tell you what, that fly all over me. But when God is processing you, it's very easy for others to curse you. Because God's process, God looks at you and sees process. But when men look at you, they see punishment. So we look at other people's difficulty and we go, I wonder what they did to bring that on their self like that. Listen, I grew up in the holiness church where if you were sick and you didn't get the victory in about 8.7 seconds, then you got a demon. Well, your babies wouldn't be sick all the time if you wouldn't let them watch MPG movies like you do. Watching that Peter Pan with that demonic Tinkerbell in it, that's why you let all that sickness in your house. That's why your babies got the flu. 
You know what I'm talking about. There's some saints in here. You know exactly what I'm saying. The scripture says that God is like a mother hen. And he likes to draw his children up under his wing. When we're in process, God wants to put his arms around us. When we're also in process, people want to point their finger at us. So hear what I'm about to say. If you know, God, I'm in your process. I am doing my utmost to be faithful with what you've given me, God. And people point their finger at you. Keep, keep your heart in the right place. But you can also, when they point that finger and they curse you, I've learned this. When people curse you, start taking it as confirmation. Because there's some people, if I got their approval, I'd be worried. Because we see that Nabal is a wicked man. He got money, he got status, and he got privilege. But Nabal is wicked. Let me tell you something about Nabal. There's four different kinds of riches. There's riches you have. There's riches in what you do. There's riches in what you know. And there's riches, riches in what you are. Nabal only had the first one. Nabal was quite poor. He's got money. He ain't got much else. So here's what I would say to some saints today. Be careful about whose affirmation you're seeking. Because sometimes it's the very people that we want them to look at us and go, oh, I'm so proud of you. You're doing good. You start getting their approval. That's when you know you're on the wrong track. Can I say something about Nabal? Um, I'm going to use this very delicately as a metaphor, but Nabal strikes me as a fat cat. You know what that is? That's an old cat lays around the house eating all day and don't do nothing. I'm talking a little bit country, but just stick with me. You know, there's good cats that they keep the mice away from the barn. Keep the mice away from the chickens. And then there's other fat cats that all they do is sit on the porch. Eating food and drinking milk. And they, they hadn't had a mouse a day in their life. There was uh, someone who wrote a song that said, You ain't nothing but a hound dog. You just sitting around the porch ain't doing nothing. That strikes me as Nabal. Sitting around being bitter and angry at everybody. But look at who does stick up for David. Somebody else who was out in the wilderness. One of Nabal's shepherds goes to Abigail and says, Abigail, Nabal is being a bit wonky at the moment. But you need to know that this David guy, he's the real deal. He was out there protecting us. The only reason we get in the harvest that we are is because David was protecting us. Let me say something. You know you're doing good in process when the little man sees that you're doing the right thing. Can't get no help over there. Let me try over here. You know you're doing good in process when the little man who he's in the trench too, when he points and says, that guy right there is the real deal. That's how you know you're doing good in process. So here's what I would say when it comes to affirmation, be patient. When it comes to approval, be patient. 
and pay close attention to where these things are coming from. Who am I looking to to acknowledge me? He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. If you think, if you're listening to me today and you say, I'm in the middle of God's processing for my life, here's what I would say. Stay focused on the work. Stay focused on your place because the wilderness is wilderness for a reason. Wilderness is where kings are made. A very wise man taught me that champions are made in the dark. We think Mike Tyson is a champion when he goes into the ring and he knocks somebody out with a right hook. No, Mike Tyson became a champion when he's up at 3 o'clock in the morning, jumping rope. Everybody else is sleeping. And you're eating chocolate cake over at Charleston's and Mike is eating salad and protein and being healthy and being focused. See, he's processing. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And then when we put you in the spotlight, what happens? Knockout. Somebody in here, you need to hear me. You need to hear me when it comes to your children. Stay focused on the work. Stick with it. Don't quit. When it comes to your marriage, stick with it. Don't quit. When it comes to promotion, stick with it. Don't quit. Focus on the work. Keep the discipline. Get up in the dark and put work in. Stay focused. And you'll start noticing other people who are putting in work, they're going to see and they're going to go, you've been working, buddy. Anybody who goes to the gym knows this. The first people who recognize when you're trimming up or when you're bulking is who? Other guys in the gym. There's a joke that runs around guys in the gym. They say, I started going to the gym because I wanted women to, look, to be attracted to me. But who's the first person who notices? Other guys in the gym. They're like, you're looking good, man. You're putting in that work, eating that protein. But that's how the processing of our life works. The third and very brief point, if my band will come, the third thing <clears throat> that Nabal says is, shall I then take my bread, my water, and my meat and give it to these guys, give it to you, you old scoundrels? A few things you need to know right here. It was custom that during the shearing season, during the harvest season, people who had much, they would set big tables and they would share now, some of you may not know this, but I had the great privilege one time of going over. There's a, there's a very well-to-do man that just uh, has uh, one of his houses over here in Yukon. He's a big cattle rancher. And one time he had a big cattle sale. And I think he said at one time in the weekend he would make like 2 or $4 million or something like that in just about a day and a half selling cows. And I thought, I'm in the wrong business. Uh, but here's what he did at the cattle sale. He had a, bit, a massive table. And guys, I'm talking about piles of ribeye steaks. And when I'm talking about piles, I'm not talking about da, da, da. I'm talking about piles of ribeyes piled in these giant bowls on the table. And it was all you could eat. I, wasn't, I couldn't afford his cows. I couldn't even afford to look at his cows. But I was there on an invitation. And I was there with a, with a man that was his friend. And so what, what was he doing? He was saying, I'm making all kinds of money. I want to bless you. Eat all that you want. I've got more than enough. God has been good to me. Here, have some more. If I can only eat three ribeyes, I'd no, get you another one. Just butter and salt on it. Get you lots. Isn't that how Granny is at the stove? Anybody ever have Grandma? 
And met grandma, what's she going to do? You're like, if I eat any more, I'm going to bust. I'm swolled up now like a tick. And she's like, no, get you another biscuit. Get this. I made this. This is special peach jelly. I made just for you to get you another one. You're like, oh, grandma, no. And she's shoving it in there. Like, get you some more. So the third thing that Nabal withholds is his resources. What is that? He's withholding security. It don't matter how bad a fighter you are. If you hadn't eaten three or four days, you're not going to last very long. He said, man, we were risking our life for you. We just want some food. And he wouldn't even share bread. Can I say something? That's wicked. That's wicked. You know, one of our objectives in Joseph's pantry is we want to feed a thousand people by Christmas. You know, that, that, that goal originated out of conversation with people. We love to eat and feed each other. And we're talking one day about, look how good God is for us. We can eat about whatever we want whenever we want. But wouldn't it be wicked for God to bless your pantry? And then you say, well, I ain't giving nothing to nobody else. That's wicked. My mama would say, that's stingy, but it's wicked. It's wicked. Did you know that we don't really get afraid in this country when winter comes? Why? Because we've got so much. The amount of food that's thrown away every day in this country is astounding. But we've got security. Now hear what I'm about to say. Some people will praise you. It's easy to say something. It's something else entirely to put your money where your mouth is. And so can you hear in the ball's voice, everything is mine. That's mine. I'm not going to give you mine. Who do you think you are asking for some of mine? The fastest, deepest revealer of character is gratitude. You may tell you something I've learned about gratitude. Gratitude shows up here. It also shows up right here. I've had a lot of people tell me that they love me. And I'm very grateful for that. Most of them meant it. Some didn't. They were liars. I needed to take a trip to Africa one time. I needed about $3,500 and I didn't have it to buy a plane ticket. And I went to my grandma. Her name was Shelby. I told her what I was good, that I was doing. I was going to be going to a school. I was going to be working in orphanages and being exposed to ministry training and going to be doing some premarital counseling while I was there. So it was going to be a, a work trip, and it really was. But I needed the money to go, and I knew I was supposed to go, and I didn't have the money. I was trying to make it. I was falling short, and I went. And you know what she did? She got her checkbook out. She said, honey, how much you need? She cut me a check for the rest of it. Here's what she can't know. She's not with us anymore. But that $3,500-ish that she gave me, she has got more than her money's worth out of that. That trip changed my life. It changed my wife's. It changed my life. It changed my wife's life. It helped get us through some hard times. And we're putting that skill set into work every single day. And that's been decades ago that we went can I say something to the gate church? Affirm each other. 
support each other. Appreciate people that you live with and you serve with and you work with. Get get your checkbook out sometime and say, let me send you to dinner. Here's $50 to buy some clothes for your kids for school going back. Whether they need it or not, it's not the point. The point is I'm grateful for the people that God's put in my life. A lot of people will say they love you. Not many will show it. I don't know about you. I want to be the kind of son, the kind of saint that I will demonstrate my gratitude towards other people. But I'm going to take it a step further. I love to sing. I'm a terrible singer, but I still love to do it. I love coming to the gate church and worshiping. I mean, I love it. I really do. There's been a lot of days I didn't feel like it, but I got in here and I got in the middle of it and I said, I love this. (laughs) But wise men and women have taught me, son, when it's time to sing, sing with all your heart. When it's time to pray, pray with every ounce of passion that you got. But my daddy would say this to me, son, you don't ever let an offering plate go by that you don't put something in it because that's for God too. When I was a little guy and I didn't have money, my parents would give me money. Say, that's for you to put in the offering today. They were training me from the time I was little that I always do what's required to bless God's house. I was taught this by my parents, both natural and my spiritual parents, that when you take care of God's house, He takes care of your house. Here's the standard for my life, and I'm only asking that you follow in my footsteps as a shepherd of this house. Don't let your praise be empty and that I always come and benefit from the house, but I don't ever sacrifice anything to keep the house cared for. Because isn't it wicked when we receive and we receive and we receive and we won't give? Papa Bears, it's easy for us to spend money on our truck. Lord, help us. Help take care of Mama's car. Put Mama in a nice car. We can have fancy boots and fancy watches, but let's bless our friends when they start their business, when they get in a bad way. Put $20 in their hand. $20 don't buy in gas what it used to, but put $20 in their hand. When I, I had the privilege of traveling with Bishop Miller, and we would go to churches all over, and some of them were doing better than he was financially. And I had his briefcase. That was my job, the, the briefcase. We called it the football, like the nuclear football. Whatever you do, don't lose that briefcase. And see, so he would keep cash money in there. A lot of it sometimes. But you know what? I never went anywhere, Pastor Kathy, and I know you know this. Probably you that taught him to be this way. We never went to a church that he didn't say, go get me some money. Sometimes it was $50. Sometimes it was 1000 Sometimes it was more than that. Go get that. And you'd slip it in his hand, and he'd put it in the hand of that pastor. And he'd say, go take your wife out to eat. Buy her something new. 
pay you, pay your mortgage with this. He'd get the preacher's kids and give them money. Here's for your college books. Here's for gas. He gave and he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave. My goodness gracious. When Christmas time would come, Holly's parents, y'all, you don't know. I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable, Pastor Kathy. I'm talking about they would bless us. I'm still wearing clothes that she bought me 10 years ago. Give and give and give and give. And people would look and say, why do they have what they have? And being behind the scenes, I knew this. Because they're giving it. You know what they taught me? God will never let you outgive him. When you give and you give and you give, you just keep waiting. You just keep waiting because you look around one day. And when you take a deep blow, what happens? God's faithful. How am I going to go on, God? God's faithful. There's enough. He used to call Bishop the rainmaker. Well, he could get that money. Well, we lost him, but guess what? Bishop might be the rainmaker. God is the one that the rain comes from. And he's faithful. How are we going to keep going? God, that's how. He won't let you out, give him. How much was sacrificed so that others' babies could be cared for, the word to be preached, and pastors to be held up, and when the man leaves, what happens? It's packed with pastors that flew from all over the world. Why? Because God won't let you out, give him. So for us, we've had this conversation a thousand times. There's no other way to live. Don't be like Nabal. Don't withhold. Give. Give with your mouth. Give out of your heart appreciation and affirmation. And then when the time is right, don't withhold your hand. Say, God, I'll give whatever you need me to give because it's God that prospers me. And you might be David in here today. Stay patient. When the ball rejects you, don't quit. You may have guarded them sheep and nobody appreciated you. Your babies may not appreciate yet everything you've done for them, mama. But don't you stop being their mama. Stay focused on the work. Keep your hand on the plow. If the wilderness is where you're supposed to be, stay in the wilderness. Process requires pain. It requires us to be promoted in degrees. And it requires us to be patient. I need you to come back next week. We've been talking about what's required. But now I want to start teaching you about what God likes to give. I don't know about you, that makes, makes me tingle when I start thinking about what God likes to give. You stay seated today. You've been an amazing audience. If you're in this room today and you say, I'm in my process and I need the grace of God and the strength of God to stay patient to keep going. If that's you in here today, just lift your hands just like this with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know what to pray, you can pray along with me. 
But let's pray from the heart. Lord, you have us all in your process and for our lives. Lord, when the pain comes and the rejection comes, Lord, we're asking today that you give us strength. Be merciful on us, Lord. Holy Spirit, be like blinders on the horse that I'll stay focused on my path and on my assignment. Lord, I pray healing for all those of us that we've been wounded by Nabal, the Nabals of life. Lord, I speak healing. Those words that they said, Lord, I know that your word is the only thing that breaks the power of that off our lives. Lord, for those of us that were weary and were weak, Lord, I ask that you give us strength. And Lord, I declare this in the gate church today that your grace is sufficient. And Lord, there's some of us, I'm committed, God. I, I know I can take it. I'm going to keep going, but God, I need some provision. I need some resource in my life. Lord, we ask today that you meet those needs wherever they are. Lord, we consecrate ourselves to be this today. That we won't just trust you to meet our needs, but that, Lord, we'll become the instruments and the pipeline. That, Lord, you'll use us to meet the needs of others. So, Lord, we commit ourselves today to stay in the process, to stay committed that we won't withhold our hand and that we will stay patient. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you for being so patient today. You have been an amazing audience. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Thank you for being here. We hope you have an amazing evening. Go and be blessed.